Jesus said the times prior to his second coming will be similar to the days of the biblical characters Noah and Lot in the book of Genesis. What did Jesus mean? He said that just as people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, and were going about their regular business and routines, suddenly they were swept away by the flood in Noah's day or destroyed by fire in Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot. Today, the average person wouldn't even know the name of Lot, the nephew of Abraham, but they may know about Noah and the animals on the ark because his narrative is a popular children's story. But this was no storybook fantasy. Jesus was very serious and specific in using the example of Noah as a sign of the end times. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Jesus specifically mentioned the biblical character of Noah from the book of Genesis as an end time sign. Does that mean Noah's Ark will be discovered, giving much credence to the biblical record? Well, possibly. But what else could it mean? First of all, Jesus mentioned Noah as a type of warning for believers to prepare for the advent of his second coming. According to the Genesis flood narrative, a deluge covered the whole world, killing every surface-dwelling creature except Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, and the animals that were taken aboard Noah's ark. According to this Bible narrative, all modern humans are descendants of Noah. Thus, the name Noahide laws is referred to moral laws that apply to all of humanity after the flood. In the Bible, in Genesis chapter 9, God sealed a covenant with Noah with a rainbow in the sky and with the following admonitions. God said, you shall not eat flesh of an animal containing its life blood. Furthermore, God said, he who spills the blood of man, by man his blood shall be spilt. For in the image of God, man was created. Now let's fast forward to the times of Jesus. And the Savior said in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For Jesus said in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. But the people were oblivious until the flood came and swept them all away. So Jesus said, will it be at the coming of the Son of Man? So the first meaning of the sign of Noah would be that Jesus reminded his followers to be watchful, to avoid catastrophe, to be sure that we're safely hidden in the ark, the boat floating above the flood waters, meaning a type of the Messiah himself. You see, when we belong to Messiah, we're kept eternally safe and secure in him. Now a second sign mentioning Noah occurred recently in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, and it should be a wake-up call to every believer attuned to the Holy Spirit who studies Bible prophecy and the last days. 
The nascent Sanhedrin, the Council of Jewish Elders that is being reconstituted, and this council existed in Bible days, has for the past two years held events to commemorate the day of creation of the world on the Hebrew calendar. This year, the Sanhedrin sponsored a convocation in Jerusalem called the Conference of the Seventy Nations that were descended from Noah. The stated purpose of the conference was to bring together the nations under the common belief in the sanctity of the Bible and the sanctity of mankind. The members of the organization agreed to the sanctity of Jerusalem and the temple, as well as the sanctity of God's covenant established with all of mankind through Noah. The highlight of the conference was a ceremony offering a live animal sacrifice to be slaughtered on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. The objective and hope was to renew the covenant made between God and all of mankind in the days of Noah after the universal flood. You see, when the floodwaters receded and Noah and his family were able to exit the ark, according to Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20, Noah built an altar to God and offered burnt offerings of animals on that altar. And God made a covenant with Noah, promising never again to doom the earth because of man. To replace the ungodly United Nations in New York, the Sanhedrin advocates the establishment of an organization of 70 nations to be based on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. The concept of 70 nations is taken directly from the Bible. According to the Sanhedrin's proclamation, God established the borders of the world based on the 70 children of Israel who went down to Egypt and the 70 nations that came out from Noah. Well, the animal sacrifice of a baby goat took place September 26, 2019 on the Mount of Olives. And reporter Eliyahu Berkovitz of Breaking Israel News witnessed the event and said he felt it was earth-shaking, calling it an Abrahamic moment, meaning something of biblical proportions to his mind. However, the event was almost canceled because at the last minute, the person who had been designated to perform the sacrifice didn't show up. Well, when Abraham set out to perform his sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah 5,000 years ago, things also didn't go to plan. And Berkovitz said that was certainly the case on the Mount of Olives recently. As the observers drove from the Temple Mount to the Mount of Olives, they were informed at the last minute that the Gentile volunteer who had flown in specifically to perform the sacrifice had canceled. So how could they find a non-Jew at the last moment who had sworn to uphold the Noahide laws and who had experience in sacrificing animals? But just as God sent the ram on Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22 to replace Isaac, a substitute man was found, a Gentile named Malachi, who had come as a visitor to Israel and who attended the conference of the 70 nations. He performed the sacrifice and helped to burn the animal as a burnt offering upon a simple altar, an altar that Jews are forbidden to erect because of ceremonial laws in the Torah. So this was not a Jewish sacrifice. In fact, Berkovitz said, as a Jew, 
He was scared for his life. Although Jewish priests are being trained to perform sacrifices once the temple is rebuilt, Gentiles, on the other hand, are permitted in Jewish law to offer burnt offerings to God, but it's forbidden for Jews to help them offer these sacrifices outside of the temple courtyard. However, as Berkowitz explained in his article, it's permitted for Jews to instruct Gentiles and to teach them how to sacrifice to the Almighty. Well, some Christians at the conference said that they could not attend the sacrifice, explaining that Jesus was the final sacrifice upon the cross as the Lamb of God who had atoned for the sins of the world. Of course, they were biblically correct to honor the Lord's sacrifice. And yet prophecy watchers should sit up and take notice that here we have a reconstituted Jewish state as prophesied in the Bible, and we have Jewish sages convening a conference for the nations. All of this leading up to the last day's scenario as outlined in the Bible. And now this latest development, an actual enactment of the sacrifice of Noah described in Genesis. Breaking Israel News emphasized that the sacrifice was not a sin offering per se, but it was intended to be a burnt offering to, as it were, entreat the favor of God as in Noah's day, when God required mankind to follow what the Jewish people call the seven Noahide laws. So let's discuss these laws associated with Noah as another signpost concerning the sign of Noah, as Jesus said in the last days. If Jesus mentioned Noah as an end time sign, then we should sit up and take notice that both Jews and evangelical Christians are talking about the Noahide laws. And what are those seven laws? Well, we shouldn't be ignorant about them, nor be afraid to talk about it, especially as we interact with the Jewish people, as Christian ministers of reconciliation in these last days, and especially because the Noahide laws are actually mentioned in a nutshell in the New Testament in Acts chapter 15. Well, the seven so-called Noahide laws given to Noah after the flood are do not worship idols. Secondly, do not curse God. Three, to establish courts of justice. And in the New Testament, Christians are told not to go to secular courts, but to go to one another and to the church. Fourthly, do not commit murder. Five, do not commit sexual immorality. Six, do not steal. And number seven, do not eat blood or the flesh torn from a living animal. I noticed recently at the Drudge Report, an Anglo-Catholic priest was interviewed, and he said that exorcism cases are becoming ever darker in the occult. Our world is growing in darkness as many have rejected Noah's basic covenant, most notably in the points concerning murder, abortion, and euthanasia, for example and concerning sexual immorality, stealing, which some people say that's what socialism does, rejecting courts of justice as we saw not too long ago in the treatment of Justice Brett Kavanaugh, and in cursing God. The Sanhedrin's solution was for Gentiles to renew the covenant that's in danger of being lost. And according to the Sanhedrin sages, the United Nations has declared abortion and euthanasia to be a human right 
and therefore it should not be considered part of the Noahide covenant. They want another group of nations on Mount Zion that will be righteous. Well, much of the reaction to the sacrificial event has been indifference, people don't know about it, or anti-Semitic hatred, as well as condemnation by animal rights activists. The biblically illiterate will never be able to grasp the exponential events unfolding in Israel prophetically, but the wise will understand the times and will be listening also for the great shofar sound when the Lord himself descends with a shout, as in the days of Noah, so shall be, he said, the sudden appearing of the Lord. Well, here's a fascinating footnote on the incident of the recent sacrifice on the Mount of Olives. For years, I've heard and read of theologians and Bible teachers who have maintained that the Jewish people will never again institute sacrifices because after all, Jesus was the final sacrifice recognized by God. So why would God allow sacrifices to begin again? These theologians or Bible teachers feel that any sacrifice now or in the future will be superfluous because Jesus was the final sacrifice for sin. However, when one studies the prophecies, for example, in the book of Ezekiel, we see that the sacrificial system will be reinstituted during the millennial rule of Messiah as a memorial to all that Jesus achieved in making atonement for sins. The awfulness of sin is seen through the sacrificial system of innocent animals. As one Bible prophecy teacher explained, the temple and the sacrificial system are God's show and tell to instruct the Jewish people in the end times of their need for the Messiah's blood atonement. When I heard that explanation years ago, it witnessed to me, and yet I never have had any evidence of the validity of such an argument until I read the personal account of reporter Eliyahu Berkowitz, who witnessed the recent sacrifice, because his reaction of brokenness and contrition spoke volumes. He wrote that the man performing the sacrifice had hugged and kissed the small baby goat for half an hour, speaking to it gently. Eliyahu said that every witness seemed to be transformed and transfixed in the very core of their being. He said in his estimation, this act was the antithesis of bloodthirstiness or lust for meat. He wrote that he will never again eat meat without thinking of the God who gave the animal life. Well, there's an ongoing debate among the rabbis as to whether there will be animal sacrifices in the third temple. But to this day, the Samaritans at Mount Gerizim, an ancient people who live at the Mount of Blessing in the Holy Land, do perform animal sacrifices every Passover, and we have witnessed it. And it's like seeing a scene right out of the Bible. They have kept this tradition for centuries. All of this speaks volumes prophetically. So as I was researching the Noahide laws, I soon realized, as have many theologians through the centuries, that this set of universal moral laws is not foreign to Christian doctrine. In fact, the major Christian denominations, including the Catholic Church, the Protestant churches, and the Eastern Orthodox churches, all believe that the Ten Commandments 
are binding and that these churches universally regard the Noahide laws as essentially being a subset of the Ten Commandments. Although the requirement to set up courts and the dietary regulation against blood are not explicit in the Ten Commandments. However, the apostolic decree in the New Testament in Acts chapter 15 is still observed by Eastern Orthodoxy and includes some food restrictions. In fact, the dietary regulation against blood was part of the apostolic decree at the Jerusalem Council of the Apostles in Acts chapter 15. I've spoken previously in these broadcasts concerning the importance of the Apostolic Council and the decree that was made in the book of Acts when the whole controversy surfaced about requirements concerning admitting Gentiles into the church, which after all originally was exclusively Jewish, don't forget. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was head of the church in Jerusalem, gave a definitive ruling to which the other apostles agreed. James has been surnamed by the church as James the Just because of his pious life and some apocryphal writings claim that the Lord's brother was an avowed Nazarite. According to church historian Eusebius, Clement of Alexandria related that this James, whom the people of old called the Just because of his outstanding virtue, was the first, as the record in the Bible tells us, to be elected bishop of the Jerusalem church. His other titles are James, the brother of the Lord, surnamed the just, and James, the righteous. He was considered to be the author of the book of James in the New Testament, and he was a strict observer of the law. In other words, he was like a Torah messianic, as we might say today. Paul described James as being one of the persons to whom the risen Messiah, Jesus, had showed himself alive. And in Galatians 2.9, Paul listed James with Cephas, better known as Peter, and John the Apostle as the three pillars of the church. Well, this relative of the Lord gave his judgment adopted in the apostolic decree of Acts chapter 15. And in verse 20, he said, Therefore it is my judgment that we should not cause trouble for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, James said, we should write and tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. That's a summation of the Noahide laws. For James said, Moses has been proclaimed in every city from ancient times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And to this, all the apostles, including Peter and Paul, agreed. And so this is a view that was the original Christian observance of the Noahide laws. In other words, the apostles ruled that no burden such as circumcision or 613 ceremonial laws should be laid upon Gentile believers. Only that they would do well if they would abstain from four things, idolatry, blood, the meat of strangled animals, and sexual immorality. Now, some Christian writers see the verses in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, as a directive from the First Council of Jerusalem to observe the basic understanding of the Noahide laws in order to be considered righteous Gentiles. 
And yet, former Gentile believers were not required to live completely as Jews. The evidence of these Noahide inclusions to early Christian observance were in addition to, of course, the moral Ten Commandments given to Moses at Sinai. It's interesting that the second century before Christ book of Jubilees is included in the canon of the ancient Ethiopian Orthodox Bible. And in chapter 7 of the book of Jubilees, it states that after the flood, Noah began to teach his sons and his grandchildren the ordinances and commandments and all the judgments that he knew. And he exhorted his offspring to observe righteousness, to cover their bodies, to bless their creator, to honor father and mother, to love their neighbor, to guard their souls from fornication and uncleanness and all iniquity. So now, based upon the apostolic decree at the Jerusalem Council, it is certainly plausible to believe in the Lord Jesus as Savior and Messiah, and at the same time to uphold the Noahide laws, because they are very much related to the Ten Commandments and mentioned in the New Testament. So this is not anything we should be afraid to discuss in the last days. But to say that you are a Noahide believer and then to deny the sonship or the atoning work of Jesus would be wrong for any Christian who has experienced a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So now with all of this in mind as background, it's interesting that the Chabad movement in Judaism has pushed for the world to accept these seven Noahide commandments. The great 12th century Jewish scholar Maimonides stated that God had commanded Moses to compel the world to accept these seven commandments. So it's interesting that in 1983, Rabbi Menachem Snearson, whom many Chabadniks have claimed was the Messiah, Snearson urged his followers to engage actively in informing non-Jews about these seven Noahide commandments. This hadn't been done in previous generations. So what does the sign of Noah and the emphasis upon the Noahide laws really mean? I believe the bottom line is that the hour is late. It tells us that Jesus is coming. Jesus himself said, as in the days of Noah, so shall be the coming again of the Son of Man, speaking of himself and of his second coming. So it's time to sound the alarm when they're doing sacrifices in Jerusalem. Isaiah speaks of a house of prayer in the future for all nations under the leadership of King Messiah. Not a house of prayer for all religions, but a house of prayer for all nations. You see, there's only one Messiah, and his name is Yeshua, Jesus, the son of David, and he's coming again. But before he comes, tragically, the Bible predicts that an imposter, an antichrist, will set himself up in the rebuilt temple and will demand worship from the people. All true lovers of God must look into these prophecies found in the book of Daniel and the Hebrew scriptures and in Jesus' own Olivet briefing in which he quotes the prophet Daniel. We must understand the times. Already, ecumenical voices keep harping the tune of unity. But unity at the cost of biblical doctrine should never be tolerated. Voices are saying that Christians of all doctrinal shades must unite. 
But truth alone should determine all of our alignments in these last days. Our Lord's prayer before he died in John chapter 17, that his followers should be one, should be read in its full context. Let's look at verse 17 of John 17, where Jesus was praying to the Father concerning us, and he prayed, sanctify them through thy word. Jesus said, thy word is truth. So only those believers sanctified through the word of truth can be one in Messiah. To teach otherwise is to betray the gospel. Yes, there is a certain precious unity coming about in these last days between Christians and Jews. We have the same fountainhead in Father God. We are the peoples of the book. Generally speaking, we can accept the Noahide laws because these are encapsulated also in the New Testament. Nevertheless, our salvation is solely through Messiah alone and not through the Noahide laws. So as we close today, may I ask you to consider where you stand with the Lord. Are you trusting in your own righteousness for salvation? Do you think the Ten Commandments or the Noahide laws can save you? The Bible teaches that only the Savior and His merit can save you. The church can't save you. A pope or a rabbi can't save you. Even keeping certain laws cannot save you. Because the Bible teaches that there is not one person who is altogether truly righteous. But when we receive by faith the blood sacrifice, the atonement of Messiah, we are given the free gift of His righteousness and eternal life. The righteousness of the Lord is imputed to us by faith. A very important verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21 declares that God made Jesus, who had no sin, to become sin for us on the cross, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. That is what theologians call the divine exchange. He took our sins upon his body on the tree, and we received his garment of righteousness in the sight of God when we put our faith in him. And now we can stand before the Father cleansed by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus. So my question is, have you received the Lord's atonement? The Bible teaches that if you will believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. The Bible also declares that the gospel was written so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can be assured of your salvation. However, these are dangerous days and they demand serious discipleship, watchfulness and contending for the faith. If I can encourage your faith, I invite you to stay in touch on the social media or at our website, exploits.tv, where you can click online to review our ebooks or sign up to receive our free magazine exploits. Daniel 11:32 says the people who know God will be strong. We won't be weak and we'll take action doing exploits, the works of the Lord. We also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store where you can watch our free library of videos and explore other features. Thank you for praying for us as we contend for the faith. And pray always earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha.